You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Halloween. And happy Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris Trade Aggregation Day. On that note, welcome in to another unfortunate post-game episode of Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. Wednesday's show is brought to you courtesy of our sponsors over at MyBookie. Visit MyBookie's website at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON and they will match your initial deposit 100% up to $1,000. As we chat this Wednesday, the Rockets are coming off yet another loss, 104-85 to the Portland Trailblazers at home on Tuesday evening at Toyota Center. Rockets falling to 1-5 on the year, 0-4 at home. Blazers improving to 5-2. They were the three seed in the West a year ago and appear to be very strong again. Damian Lillard led the way with 22 points. But for the Rockets, it was less about the opponent and it's more about the concerning nature of trends that have built for several games now. So in today's show, we'll go through what went right, uh, which wasn't that much, but Clint Capella had 14, 14, three blocks. Gary Clark had a career high 11 points on four of nine shooting, made three three pointers off the bench. What went wrong, that being Eric Gordon. Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, Gerald Green, those four combined 13 of 59, just woefully cold shooting. Also, the defense, after a strong start, just completely went the wrong direction midway through, although I think that ties into some of the emotional and mental issues that this team is having at the moment. We'll discuss both the physical and the mental side of things in our first two segments, and then to close out the program, we'll discuss what roster moves the Rockets might can make or changes to snap themselves out of this funk, starting with, of course, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris acquired 60 days ago. This was the clock that had to expire for them to be eligible to be traded in a package, be it for Jimmy Butler or anyone else around the league. If the Rockets want to make a marquee move, those are probably salaries that they need to include to make the math work. Well, as of today, they can. So while I'm recording this midday Wednesday and there's no news of anything on the immediate horizon, at the same time, there's now no longer any limitation on Daryl Morey's ability to move pieces. As of today, he has full flexibility to do whatever he wants to do with this roster and coming off yet another very frustrating and I would say stunning at this point. I know there are injuries, James Harden, James Ennis, those guys remain out, so does Nene, and James Harden is the MVP of the league, but you never expect to start 0-4 at home and 1-5 overall with a team that won 65 games a year ago and was seen as a championship contender entering this season. So, It's stunning, and at this point, Gerald Morey has every sense of motivation in the world, in my opinion, to strike a deal to change things. We'll get to that in our third and final segment in our usual three points recap. To lead off, I do want to discuss what happened last night because this is, it's a bit of a hybrid because, of course, we'll talk about some roster changes potentially as well. But this is our normal three points recap in which we break down the themes, both good and bad, from last night's game and Instead of good and bad, I'm going to break it down into more physical and mental. Because, look, again, when you're 1-5, you're being routed at home, now 0-4, the bad far outweighs the good. It's just, to me, there are basically two components to this. The physical, in terms of just 
X's and O's, who's executing on the floor, who's not, the box score, and then the mental, which is the spiraling effect. Now that you have a team that's dramatically underachieving expectations, are there problems that are going to make or, or compound each other and somehow become worse than they should be based on the logic and the talent of the situation? As far as the physical component to Tuesday night's game, I suppose the glass half full view would be that the defense was as good as it's been all year. The Rockets limited Portland to 28 points in nearly the first 19 minutes of the game. Clint Capella, we spent a lot of this season discussing how he hasn't given you what he did a year ago. I still wouldn't say he's all the way back when the Rockets switched. I don't think he held his own in the perimeter against Portland's guards, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, anywhere near it as quality as he did a year ago, but overall 14 and 14 against Nurkic, three blocks, played 30 minutes, made six of his 11 shots. It was a step in the right direction for Clint, and even against a Portland team that's a really quality rebounding squad, the Rockets were only out-rebounded 51 to 49. That was basically parity, and on the offensive glass, the Rockets actually had 20 offensive boards to seven for Portland. So Portland came into this game on night two of a road back-to-back, The Rockets went in off three consecutive rest days, and you would expect the Rockets to have the energy advantage, and even though the Rockets couldn't throw it in the ocean, just 32% from the field as a team, 23% from behind the arc, it's the energy that kept the Rockets at least afloat in the early going. They never led, but they were tied at 28 midway through the second quarter. So I'm not going to say that Clint Capella is back, because I think he needs to show you much more defensively, especially when it comes to switching and how he picks up guards than what he's done to this point in the year. I will say it was a step in the right direction, and and that Clint set the tone. He was very active on the glass, and even the Rockets couldn't throw it in the ocean early. He gave them a shot with second chance points, battling on the inside against Nurkic. Again, 14 rebounds, three blocks. That's what gave the Rockets a chance. I think they knew that, especially with the injuries in Portland being a very quality team, that they might not have a talent advantage in this game, but with the scheduling advantage, they needed to be fresher, they needed to be more energetic, and Clint Capella set the tone, especially early. So I thought that was a good sign. And then off the bench, Gary Clark, 19 minutes, 11 points, mentioned his three three three-pointers. Right now, he's one of the only guys that seems to be playing with joy, and there's value to that. When you have veterans that have been around, like Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Carmelo Anthony, so on and so forth, and when you underachieve like they are, it does zap the joy a little bit in terms of their impact on the court. Whereas a younger player that's going to have a little more enthusiasm just based on the opportunity, that might be what the Rockets need. We'll talk about that more in the second segment when we examine the mental side of this. But to see Gary Clark go out there, make a few shots from deep, and build his confidence, that's a good thing because part of the way the Rockets pull themselves out of this may be having to lean on guys that are playing with a little bit more joy as opposed to the veterans who, for various reasons, appear to be just mentally beaten down by the circumstances of this 1-5 in start. Now, Capella and Gary Clark, that's about it for the good. The bad by the box score, everything else mentioned the Rockets overall, 32% from the field, 23% from three. But the four guys that are most telling, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Carmelo Anthony, Gerald Green, a combined 13 of 59, and that, barely better than 20%, might be underselling because Chris Paul finished with 17 points, 9 assists, 6 of 19 shooting. You might look at that and say, well, it's a little disappointing from a shooting perspective, but overall it's not that bad. Well, folks, actually, Chris Paul started 1 of 11. He ended up making 5 of his last 8 shots in garbage time. The Rockets left him out there, I think, trying to get some 
continuity, some more confidence in his shot. But really, when it mattered, he was much worse than the stat line might indicate. He started 1 of 11 after going 3 of 13 in his return Friday from the two-game suspension, which meant he started 4 of 24, below 20% from the field since returning from that uh, punching suspension over the Rajon Rondo incident. Now, it's possible that some of this could be injury-related. We saw after the game that his right wrist area was being iced. He downplayed it, which he always does, but if there's some sort of injury there, then yeah, of course that could have an effect on his shooting. But whatever the cause, he's just been nowhere near good enough, especially without James Harden. Now, I've seen some wondering about, well, he's 33 years old. Are there signs of aging? You're 14, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I'm not going to say that there's no fear. Certainly, it's something that when any player, even Chris Paul, is at that age and that level of experience, you have to monitor. But the game before these two woeful games, since coming back from the suspension, he had 28, 10, and 7 in just 30 minutes before the punches were thrown, shooting better than 50% from the field. Last year, he was number one in the league by a healthy margin in real plus minus. In the playoffs, Rockets-Warriors just a few months ago, he was the best player on the floor. He was dragging the Rockets to the finish line in game four and game five against the Warriors, those swing games that went down to the wire. So the idea that all of a sudden Chris has suddenly fell victim to the aging curve I have a tough time buying that. I think it's more small sample size randomness. He's only played four games due to the suspension, really not even four because he had to leave the Laker game early. And again, that Laker game, he was brilliant in. I think it's just a rough two games. Maybe he's a little bit injured as well. But the bottom line is without Chris, uh, without James Harden, Chris Paul is not giving you anywhere near enough. And then Eric Gordon, another woeful night, four of 18 from the field, two of eight from three for the season. He's barely over 30% from the field, 23% from behind the arc. His player efficiency rating is 6.7. Look, that's just bad. And this was a guy that was a fringe all-star last year. Really, the story for the Rockets a year ago, it wasn't just the defense. We've said it over and over again. It's the variables. Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, those guys giving you quasi-all-star level production, at a bare minimum, top 50 in the league. In the case of Capella, maybe more than that. Now, if you squint hard enough, you can see some signs of growth the last few games from Capella. We certainly have not from Gordon. And when you see them regress from you know the fringe all-star form they were in for much of last year to 30% from the field, 23% from three, and a player efficiency rating of like 6.7, that's staggering. And with the Rockets... Look, I'm not meaning to overlook Carmelo Anthony and Gerald Green. Those guys shooting a combined three of 22 doesn't help, but those are shooters. And especially when you take a lot of threes, you're going to have nights where it doesn't fall. Occasionally, you do want Carmelo Anthony to be able to step up and give you points in a pinch, and that didn't happen last night. But at the end of the day, the Rockets are paying Carmelo Anthony the minimum. They're counting on him to basically be an upgraded Ryan Anderson. They're not asking him to be a star. The guys you're asking to be a star are James Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon. And James Harden isn't out there, and the other two at the moment are simply dreadful. That's the only way you look at it. And if that's what's going on, the Rockets just don't have the personnel to be a good team because if the three-pointers aren't falling, well, you need to get easier buckets. Who's your ticket to easier buckets? Well, that's Chris Paul and Eric Gordon. And unfortunately, neither one of those guys is doing their jobs right now. We did a show Tuesday, if you haven't heard, with Matt Moore, senior NBA writer with the Action Network and HP Basketball on Twitter and he mentioned that the Rockets are just too talented for this to continue for too long, especially offensively. Well, the premise of that is that you've got the MVP in James Harden, another top 10 guy in Chris Paul, and certainly a well above average fringe all-star level at times third playmaker in Eric Gordon. Right now, you have none of those three, and it doesn't help. 
that the supporting cast isn't really making their threes. But the bottom line is shots are going to fall sometimes and other games they're going to go out. And when they rim out, you need other guys to step up as creators and get you some easier buckets. And right now, those two, Chris Paul and Eric Gordon, the two that are actually playing, are not giving you the ability to do that. And combine that with the absence of James Harden and the Rockets, independent of their defensive issues, they just aren't scoring enough points right now. And that reflects what I've said for a while. It's a widespread issue. It's not just the defense. It's not just the Ariza, the Luke Bamute, the Carmelo Anthony factors. No, this is a widespread problem for the Rockets. They're just a bad basketball team at the moment, and you can fix it defensively. You can also fix it offensively. Hopefully, James Harden's return, be it Friday or Saturday night, assuming there's no setbacks, will help with that. But the bottom line for the Rockets, they need more than they're getting from their big three, their offensive stars. And until they get it, it's not just going to be a struggle defensively, it's going to be a struggle offensively as well, just for them to put enough points on the board, especially against a quality team like the Portland Trailblazers. Now, we'll continue our discussion momentarily of Tuesday's 104-85 loss by the Rockets at home to the Blazers, about to set out on a five-game road trip starting Friday night in Brooklyn. But for now, I do want to pause and acknowledge our awesome sponsors over at MyBookie, the folks responsible for bringing you today's show. And you know, ever since I've started this podcast here at Locked on Rockets, people are always asking me for advice. And quite frankly, the biggest thing they ask me about is what team to bet on this week. And the truth is, I don't really know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you've got to check out my bookie. Because who you're betting on, it's just as important as to who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell my folks to bet with my bookie. They're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They've got great reviews online. And their mobile site at mybookie.ag is very easy to use and very mobile-friendly. So lay down some cash and win big today. I would only recommend a service to my listeners here at Locked on Rockets that's been good to me. And that's why I'm urging you to make your way over to my bookie where you win and they pay. They've got in-game live betting. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player might score in every game. So, to take advantage of the special promo for our Lockdown Rockets listeners, join now and MyBookie will match your initial deposit dollar for dollar just by using the promo code Locked On to activate the offer. One word, Locked On. So, visit MyBookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code Locked On when creating your account to claim the bonus. MyBookie will match your initial deposit by 100% up to $1,000. So, remember, mybookie.ag, where you play, you win, and you get paid. So, jumping back into the program, we spent much of the first segment discussing the physical limitations of this Rockets roster at the moment, which doesn't have James Harden, doesn't have James Ennis, both out with hamstring injuries, and even guys that are out there, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, to put it frankly, they're stinking it up. And Chris Paul, maybe some of it has to do with a hand injury. We did see him icing his wrist area in the locker room after the game. But regardless, look, the four guys who shot the most shots last night, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Carmelo Anthony, Gerald Green, they were combined 13 of 59, barely over 20%. That's just absolutely woeful. And some of those guys, Carmelo Anthony, Gerald Green, are role players. Sometimes the threes are going to fall. Sometimes they're not. But your creators, in the case of Chris Paul, a top 10 player in the league, Eric Gordon, a fringe all-star type player a year ago, continuing to be abysmal that's just not going to cut it, especially in a week that James Harden remains out with a grade one plus strain of his left hamstring. And the troubling thing for the Rockets, it's not just the fact that it's a bad game. It's the fact that so many of these issues continue to compound one another. 
that's the danger. And I talked about this on Tuesday's show with Matt Moore. When you go down a path like this, is that one mistake leads to others. It's the here-we-go-again effect. And I thought defensively that was clearly on display, and that might be what troubled me the most on Tuesday night. The Rockets started this game with a lot of energy. They were tied at 28 midway through the second quarter, and even though they couldn't throw it in the ocean, they knew that they had three days of rest. The Blazers were coming in on night two of a road back-to-back, and from a scheduling standpoint, they were supposed to be the fresher team, and it was also a game in which you know, the Blazers now 5-2, and two, the Rockets 1-5. and five. Clearly, the Rockets had a greater sense of urgency. It would have been a bigger deal for the Rockets to win that game. So they came out with the requisite amount of energy. Offensively, they pounded the glass. Mentioned Clint Capella, 14-14. and 14. Rockets had 20 offensive rebounds to just 7 for Portland. Now, that total is skewed a little bit just because the Rockets missed so many shots. But by and large, I do think early on the Rockets did all the right things. They just couldn't throw the ball into the ocean. Defensively, they tried. The effort was good. And then, suddenly, after giving up just 28 points in nearly the first 19 minutes of the game, the Rockets then gave up more than double that amount, 57 points, in just the next 17-plus minutes. So, less than half the overall time, yet Portland more than doubled its scoring output, and that's how a Portland team that had 28 points over halfway through the second quarter ended up with 85 through three quarters and 104 for the game. It's not so much that defense was the problem for the Rockets on Tuesday night. Overall, I thought there were strides on that end. The bigger problem, as mentioned earlier, were just woeful nights from Chris Paul and Eric Gordon that just can't happen, especially without James Harden, if the Rockets are going to win basketball games, especially against a quality team like the Portland Trailblazers. But what's troubling most about what happened defensively is how it immediately turned once Portland hit the Rockets with that first push. I think they went on a 12-3 run right after it was tied at 28. At that point, you kind of saw the body language, the shoulders just sunk, and it was another night where it's, here we go again. This isn't our night. And this is what we discussed on Tuesday's show with Matt Moore. This is the danger to where even if, on paper, the roster is too good for the results, sometimes when you go down a path like this, there can be a spiraling effect to where... Even if it doesn't make sense on paper, the results continue to be really poor because all of a sudden the the mental basically supersedes the physical in terms of the importance of what's going on on the basketball floor and the correlation to a given result. Now, after the game, the Blazers were asked about it in the locker room, Lillard, Nurkic, and they said all the right things about making adjustments, that the Rockets were switching on everything and they just figured to move the ball more and all those types of things. Bull. I'm not going to say there's nothing to it, but the Rockets have been switching nonstop for more than a year now. This was no secret. The Blazers knew exactly what they were going to do going into this game. Now, it's not to say the Blazers didn't make some adjustments. I'm sure they tweaked some things, and also some of the shots they missed early in the game eventually fell. And there's certainly a component of it to that, but you don't go from 28 points to 57, even in a shorter overall time frame, just because you hit a couple more shots or you make adjustments. No, part of it was that early on, the Rockets were within striking distance, and as soon as the Blazers went on that first push that got some separation, got it to double digits, then you could just see it was like the air coming out of the balloon. Here we go again, and that's the problem when you go down this path. And that's what makes me laugh so much at this point about some of the characterizations of basically blaming it on the departures of Ariza and Luke Bamute, the addition of Carmelo Anthony. Look, the Rockets have so many problems right now, and at the forefront of the list is their emotional state. And the idea that you could just plug and play a couple of role players and fix this, it's silly to me. 
because it's not just a defensive problem, it's an offensive problem as well, as we were explaining earlier. And as far as what the initial cause is, look, it, we can fight about this all day. You can chalk it up to not retaining Ariza and Luke if you want to. You can chalk it up to complacency, not really going into the season with the same edge after after coming so close a year ago in the Western Conference Finals. You can blame it on the injuries, James Harden, James Ennis. You also had the two-game suspension for Chris Paul. There's a lot of things that theoretically you could blame it on, but really it doesn't matter where it started. The fact is, it's where you are. And right now, you have to focus on how to pull yourself out of it because when you get in this state, all it takes is one problem, and all of a sudden that one problem becomes four or five just based on the fact that the team right now they're just not having a lot of fun playing basketball. They're expecting the other shoe to drop. And it's disappointing because you have so many veterans. But at the same time, when when you factor in the changes in the offseason, the injuries, a relatively tough schedule, give credit to the opponent. Generally, all 16 the Rockets have played to this point, all six of those squads have been at least quality. It's a tough spot. And to me, I wouldn't say defense was to blame on Tuesday night at all. Generally, the offense, from just the X's and O's, where are you most disappointed relative to expectations? It was the offense that clearly most underachieved, but it was the defense that was most telling because you went almost immediately from very good defense to very bad defense. And that tells you it's not so much about personnel, it's not so much about coaching, about X's and O's, it's about mentality. And right now, the far away top priority for the Rockets is finding some way to hit that reset button so that you're not emotionally going through this spiral because it can sometimes be defense. It can sometimes be offense, but when you're emotionally in a bad place, it can affect you in so many areas and make you worse than the talent would otherwise indicate. And fixing that has got to be the priority for the Rockets, more so than making tweaks to the rotation. Maybe you bring in a new role player or two. No, it's about the overall vibe and getting it back to where it was a year ago. And maybe some roster changes can improve that. We'll talk about that momentarily. Maybe also putting in more rookies like Gary Clark that play with more joy. Maybe that will help. But ultimately, I think the biggest thing the Rockets going to have to do is just a lot of self-reflection. They don't play again until Friday. There needs to be a lot of folks looking in the mirror and thinking, how do I fix this? Because right now, the Rockets are in just a bad place mentally, and unfortunately, that's leading to issues widespread offensively, defensively, and many of these just seem to compound one another with each passing game. Now, to close out the podcast, we've discussed both physically and mentally, what went wrong last night. Going forward, we need to discuss how they fix it. And, of course, as mentioned, closing out the last segment, they can look in the mirror. I think that's very important that everyone go through a degree of self-reflection at this point. And certainly, step one is getting James Harden back on the floor. They said earlier in the week that it would probably be Saturday rather than Friday, it wouldn't surprise me if they flipped it. I don't think it's so much the fact that in terms of James Harden returning from his grade one plus hamstring strain, which he suffered last Wednesday against the Jazz, it's not so much that he couldn't play Friday, which would be nine days since the strain. It's more that I don't think they want to bring James Harden back for an immediate road back to back. I think that's a lot of strain. And if the games weren't compressed, if, say, it was Friday-Sunday rather than Friday-Saturday, my guess is that Harden might play Friday. But I'm guessing they they want him to sit out one of those two so they don't put his body through too much strain, especially on the road. And 
initially it makes sense to sit him the first game so that when he's back, it's just, he's back. You don't have to adjust to him being in and out of the lineup. It's back to having James Harden the MVP. However, given the sense of urgency that the Rockets have just to get a win, to get in a better place mentally, it wouldn't shock me if they revisit that decision. Also, Brooklyn appears to be a little more lively than the Bulls, you know, just judging by the results earlier this week against the Warriors. The the Nets were competitive against Golden State. The Bulls were down 40-plus at the half. Now, part of it, of course, the Bulls-Warriors game was when Klay Thompson went nuts with 14 threes, but generally speaking, between the the Nets appearing to be a little more lively as an opponent and the Rockets needing a win, it wouldn't shock me if by Friday the Rockets revisit that decision. And even if it means Harden sitting the second night in Chicago, at this point, the Rockets just need a win. And the return of James Harden, it, it will mean a lot. If you want to be an optimist, look, you can point out, if the Rockets turn this thing around, boy, does James Harden have another MVP case. Because The two games that Chris Paul missed on his suspension, James Ennis missing a lot of those as well, and with many of the issues we've been discussing for days now still present, the Rockets lost by three to the Clippers on the road on the second night of a road back-to-back, and they were within five against a very good Utah team with five minutes to go before Harden had to leave early with the hamstring strain. They were competitive, even with all these other issues going on. That's how valuable the MVP is as opposed to now, effectively, you've switched James Harden for Chris Paul in these last two games, home against the Clippers and the Blazers, and both with the Rockets not on a back-to-back, at home, rested, and the Rockets haven't even been competitive. That's how good James Harden is. So, yeah, if the Rockets turn this thing around, then, yeah, James Harden should absolutely be in the MVP consideration again because he's proven his value over the past week, unfortunately, with his absence. And if he returns, yeah, it's a huge freaking deal to get the MVP back, and that will help. And that's the glass half-full view. The glass-half-empty view is that even with all of those factors, the Rockets still lost those two games, and they were 1-3 with Harden to start the season. So it may not be just as simple as getting James Harden back, and then everything is fixed. You can hope for that, but we have four games of data that shows otherwise, so the Rockets may need to make other roster moves. Now, we've mentioned names like Nick Young, Anthony Morrow, street-free agents before. Those could theoretically help. If you need to clear a roster spot, I'd continue to be disappointed by Michael Carter-Williams. I can't imagine his leash is that long. But the more intriguing thing would be broader moves. Because I don't know, if you bring in Nick Young or Anthony Morrow, how much does that really change the vibe, the emotional state, some of these issues that we have been talking about? The type of move that could reboot the clubhouse to inject some much-needed energy and optimism into this season is something like the rumored Jimmy Butler trade, which as of today is now theoretically possible for the Rockets. You can trade Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, and keep in mind, even though Brandon Knight isn't playing at the moment, this is why the Rockets made that deal with Ryan Anderson in late August. It was because Brandon Knight at 26, as opposed to 30, like Ryan Anderson, and making $15 million a year through 2020, instead of $20 million a year like Ryan Anderson, the idea is that Knight is not nearly as negative a contract as Ryan Anderson is. So this is why the Rockets made that move. It's just you had to wait 60 days to then use Knight in a package the same way they could with Ryan Anderson. Well, now, as of today, October 31st, it's been 60 days. The Rockets, be it Jimmy Butler or anyone else, they can use Brandon Knight as that trade ship to make the math work. And with a season that's gotten off to this awful start, yeah, I think Daryl Morey is absolutely looking around and considering his options. And in my opinion, of course, Jimmy Butler, top 10 player, he's available now. 
that's where you want to start, and it would make so much of a difference on both ends of the court for the Rockets. But in my opinion, there are other options as well. And with the Rockets in the state they're in, what I think the Rockets need to do, and I suspect that the Rockets are making this clear in discussions with Minnesota, look, you can give them a day or two, but right now, if the if the Wolves don't want this offer, the Rockets need to move on. You can give them a day or two to finish out this process, but look, there's no reason to wait. You could say three weeks ago, okay, let's stall until late uh, October when the Rockets can trade Knight and Chris in aggregation. By the way, the Rockets... Theoretically, if they want to extend Marquise Chris, they would have to do so by today. This is the deadline to pick up his fourth-year option on his contract, but at this point, I'd be surprised if they do that. Uh, at this point, I think there's more value in Chris as an expiring contract than given what he showed you. I know he's a lottery pick from a couple of years ago, but at this point, I think he has more value as an expiring than he would if you pick up that final year. Wouldn't shock me if the Rockets pick it up, but my guess, since we haven't heard anything to this point, is that the Rockets just let it expire quietly. They don't pick up the option, and then at that point, uh, he's basically an expiring to toss into deals, be it Jimmy Butler or anyone else. But the bigger picture for the Rockets and Wolves, there's no reason to wait. Clearly, Butler wants out. I don't think that the Timberwolves are going to get better offers the deeper they go into the season because there's less time to integrate Butler with his new team. They have every incentive to do a deal now. And from the Rockets' standpoint, there's no reason to wait and say, well, we could get, say, you know, if we waited, we could then offer this later. No, this is as good as, as it's going to get. And even if we want to argue that, well, some of the guys in the current roster, like, say, if the Rockets included Eric Gordon, well, he's had a bad start to the year, so does that negatively impact his value in a trade? Maybe, but the counter to that is with Rockets are offering draft picks, then this terrible start should increase the value of those draft picks. So, really, the point is that, in terms of the Rockets and the Timberwolves, if Minnesota doesn't show much of a sense of urgency in the next couple of days, then, in my opinion, there's no reason for the Rockets to just blindly hope against hope that the Timberwolves might change their minds. If they don't want to move forward on this deal, then, quite frankly, the Rockets need to move on to other options, wherever those may be. Daryl Morey knows the landscape a lot more than we do. But generally speaking, the Rockets, after starting 1-5 and five in a season in which, again, after signing Chris Paul to a four-year deal, $40 million per season, it's about the here and now. The Rockets have a major problem. Can Jimmy Butler be a part of the solution? Yes, he can be. But if it's not Jimmy, he's not the only guy that could upgrade this team. And at some point, the Rockets are going to have to move on. And to me, that's what these next couple of days are going to show us. I hope that something happens on the Jimmy Butler front, and it's certainly possible, but if it doesn't, then I think we're at a point now where the Rockets are going to have to move down the list because there's no reason to think that the offer would magically get any better for Minnesota if they don't want to deal with Houston for whatever reason. Maybe they don't like the draft picks. Maybe they don't like the idea of moving him to another Western Conference team or creating a potential super team. I don't know, but whatever the reasons are, if Minnesota doesn't jump on this, and I would say the next two or three days with all the incentive that both sides have to max out their offers, then to me it seems pretty clear that it's not going to happen. And if that's the case, then the Rockets need to go on down their list because, in my opinion, a roster move, certainly you can make a little move here or there, bring it in a street free agent, but to really reboot the culture to where the Rockets need to be to stop this emotional slide, this spiral, you probably need an acquisition of more significance. I hope it's Jimmy Butler, but if not, the Rockets need to move on down their list because at this point, they do need help. And Daryl Morey, in my opinion, should and is operating with a sense of urgency. Anyway, that'll do it for today's show. Uh, as always, thanks to you guys for listening. A bit of an unfortunate result. Rockets fall to 1-5 on the season with that 104-85 loss to the Portland Trailblazers, and they don't play again until Friday night against the Brooklyn Nets, starting the five-game road trip. 
So this will do it as far as our recap episode, but please stay tuned because if there's any news on the transaction front, be it Jimmy Butler or any other moves or injury updates with James Harden and James Ennis, we know they'll be evaluated, reevaluated that is today or tomorrow with uh, with the intent of determining their status for the road trip, then of course we'll jump in with full coverage right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on Houston Rockets basketball. So if you want more updates before the next show, the best place to get it, as always, is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben Dubose. Show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. Also got an email address, lockdownrockets at gmail.com. Facebook account, facebook.com slash Lockdown Rockets. A website, lockdownrockets.com. Always you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, or even you, the human being. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Also, on the subject of advertisers, please check out our sponsors today over at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and from there, MyBookie will match your initial deposit up to $1,000 at a 100% rate. So yeah, MyBookie.ag, they'll give you the matching bonus just by using that Locked On Rocket, uh, or that Locked On, excuse me, promo code. Also, if you haven't subscribed to us already, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Megaphone, Google Play, odds are wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Lockdown Rockets because we're part of a great network of shows at the Lockdown Podcast Network across the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, college sports, local experts across all of these teams and franchises. So if you subscribe to us at your listening platform of choice, that helps us on multiple levels because... Look, our subscribers, it makes us look attractive to potential advertisers, and it also helps you by getting the episodes right when they come out. You don't even have to refresh my Twitter feed, at Ben Dubose, to get it if you subscribe. Also, if you'd be kind enough to leave us a five-star review, then that's how we can look attractive to potential advertisers, just like my bookie today, and that's how we keep the business model working here at Locked and Rockets, the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Anyway, that will do it for today's show. Once again, the very unhappy final from Toyota Center, Blazers 104, Rockets 85. Rockets fall to 1-5 on the year. Back in action Friday night in Brooklyn to kick off a five-game road trip as the Rockets look to turn around this woeful start to the 2018-2019 season. As always, thanks for listening, and come back soon right here to Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.